Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Brian Murphy, and Eric Lopez with you. Uh, as it is that uh, we are now in May, boys. We are winding down the spring. We're going to be heading toward our summer sessions here, but there's still lots to talk about with uh, UCF sports. Uh, not the least of which we're going to be talking about today is uh, the NFL draft and the un- and the race for all the undrafted free agents. We'll be hitting upon that. Uh, Jeremy Brenner is going to be joining us to talk about that. We'll also talk about, well, can we call it basketball free agency, Brian? Absolutely. Okay, we'll call it basketball free agency with, uh, with UCF going through. Hey, UCF had a lot of cap room this summer. Let's just say that. Oh, come on. And, uh, and uh, plenty more as he's well. We're gonna be talking about For the record, Jeff's joking. He's making a bad salary cap joke. <laughs> he's, he does not, he's not making any uh, assertions there, okay? Money money under the table jokes. Talks, come on, Jeffrey. Yeah. Stay above money, board. Money talks, baby. Money talks. Um, and we have uh, – and we'll talk baseball, softball. And also tennis, both tennis teams getting into the NCAA tournament uh, in the same year for the first time ever, which is kind of surprising to me. So uh, we are Black and Gold Banner at UCF's home on the SB Nation Network. You can follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret, and UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. Follow us individually at Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez Elo, and Spokes underscore Murphy. All right, let's get to work. UCF, we were talking about the uh, NFL draft coming in. We thought one player would get drafted, uh, and we turned out to be right about that. It was Tristan Hill. We had hopes that somebody else would, but it didn't work out. However, um, several, indeed several UCF uh, players were uh, either invited to rookie camps or signed undrafted free agent uh, rookie contracts. So uh, to start off, well, Tristan Hill was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys uh, with uh, pick number 58 in the second round. Uh, yet again, UCF with a uh, with a pick in the top three rounds of the NFL draft. And then, uh, of course, we had several other guys sign uh, as well. Richard Causey with the Atlanta Falcons. Wyatt Miller with the New York Jets. Matthew Wright with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Dredrick Snelson with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And then the invitations to training camps went to Mack Laddermilk with the Buccaneers. Kyle Gibson with the Ravens, Michael Kolubiali to Jacksonville, which is no surprise. Taj McGowan had his choice of places where he wanted to go, uh, either the Giants or the Jaguars. He chose the Giants. Woohoo! Uh, and then we also got uh, late word Pat Jasinski. Uh, Eric C. Henry from uh, Underdog Dynasty was all over this one. Pat Jasinski uh, will be with the Atlanta Falcons in their uh, rookie camp. And, uh, and I think, and, and the Taj McGowan stuff actually came down. Uh, late. I think we're still waiting on. Are we still waiting on Titus Davis? Is that it, Brian? Yeah, but I mean, uh, you would assume he'd be signed by now. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I am. I mean, I, I said on this podcast we had we had a, we had a decision of who would be the second guy picked if you had to choose a second guy, and I said Titus Davis. Uh, uh, well, Titus Davis and Wyatt Miller, and I'm so I'm I'm kind of shocked that the. That Titus has not signed. I uh, don't know what's going on there, but uh, no, no, uh, no word on Titus Davis's uh, football future. You know who does know what's going on? Jeremy Brenner, and he joins us now. He, uh, in addition to his duties for us, uh, he is also with Battle Red Blog, which is uh, which is the Houston Texans site, and is also uh, condolences. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, and also and also works for the Houston uh, Rockets site, Dream Shake. So, Jeremy, what's going on? I'm I'm good, Jeff. It's 
always uh, happy to be here with you guys. Uh, y'all are like my older brothers in a sense. So, <laughs> and, and anything we can do to get your mind off the rockets right now. Oh, so. absolutely. <laughs> so, um, all right, let's talk about some of the. Uh, let's talk about Tristan Hill first of all. I mean, you, um, like we were talking about earlier. No surprise that he goes uh, that he goes in the second round. No surprise that he went to Dallas. I think there was a lot of chatter coming out of Dallas that they were really enamored with him. Um, as someone who keeps an eye on the NFL and particularly the NFL in the state of Texas, uh, it, it, what do you think about the fit? Is he going to? Are we going to see plenty of Tristan Hill on Sundays this fall? Yeah, I mean, look, I think Tristan. The the good part about Tristan is that he's in a place to where he has a chance to uh, contend for uh, playing time. Um, and he will definitely be uh, a part of that defensive line. He's not going to be one of those healthy scratches for 16 games this season. Uh, he will see some playing time, although you know, not ne- might not necessarily be a starter, although that is a very, very stacked defensive line that he is joining. He's going into the room with Demarcus Lawrence, with uh, Tyrone Crawford, uh, and that's just, you know, the the heap of the of the mountain and uh it's a very deep room but Tristan Hill will be able to hold his own and he'll be able to uh learn from some of the very best uh linemen in the league and he'll be able to hopefully uh stuff the run for them and you know I think what's important to note here is that Dallas it was their first selection in the draft which right goes to show you and usually more often than not, most teams use their first pick on their biggest need. And for a team to entrust you with their first draft pick, that's got to be that's got to make you feel pretty special. And you're you're coming in as the uh, highest touted rookie, um, so Tristan's going to have uh, big shoes to fill. But I do bel- I, I do trust that he's in probably one of the best spots he could possibly land in. Uh, I know that at Pro Day, uh, Rod Marinelli was running uh, the defensive lineman drills, and he was particularly enamored with Tristan. And like he would call, uh, from what I heard from other people that were there, he would call other linemen like Titus Davis. He'd go by their last name. But with Tristan, it was Tristan. It wasn't Hill. And like, hey, Tristan, come on. But uh, hmm. And I think that that's a sign of you know, their, uh, relationship, I guess. And they, they kept in touch throughout the draft process. And then Rod Marinelli helped the Cowboys lead him to the first selection in the Cowboys draft. Going to get a pretty, um, pretty solid, uh, uh, from what I can tell, pretty solid, uh, cash in as well. I'm looking at the, and I'm looking at the NFL's, uh, the 2019 draft salary slots, which, the NFL does that now. Basically, your salary is slotted based on where you got drafted. And at number 58, uh, Tristan Hill is getting, uh, well, his cap number in year one is going to be $886,000. Um, you know, he's going to be making about, a, about uh, on average, a little bit over a mil a year for those first four years in that rookie contract. So once he gets signed, it's, it's going to be a pretty good, um, pretty good clip for him. He definitely uh, made the right decision to leave when he did. Yeah, I think he, I think yes, he did too. Absolutely, and, and and look, I think we all agree he was by far the best talent of all these guys that were eligible for in in the draft, right? I mean, nobody's Not really surprised. Close. I mean, yeah. He, yeah. So I mean, yeah. 
question with him was never on tape when he was on the field. He, to me, when every time I saw him on the field, he stood out. Now, you know, Brian and Luke brought up, oh, I guess the what red flags. Is that the new term now we use in drafts, like the red flags each player has? Uh, Brian, you, I know you guys brought up the, the red flags about him, but nobody, none of the red flags were necessarily what the talent was, right? Right. So we're talking purely a football standpoint of what he can do on the field when he's fully invested. Uh, that That is undeniable, and that is a very high-ceiling player. There, he's got first-round talent, first-round athleticism, uh, first-round upside. And that's why I, you know, I kind of think you saw the Cowboys were so eager to get him there at 58. Um, because I think a lot of mock drafts had him falling in, into the third round. I think a lot of people had him falling into the third round. But um, this can still be a huge deal for the Cowboys because, yes, if Tristan – uh, is in the right mental mindset and, and has Rod Marinelli and that Cowboys coaching staff to get him fully focused and committed to the job, uh, he can be a steal. And let's be yeah. and let's be clear about this, by the way, for the record. It's not like he's a bad guy in anything. I mean, you know. He's a 21-year-old kid. He's a 21-year-old kid who went from, a, what, how many coaching changes did he go through in his career? What uh, Two. Uh, we had two, yeah. We, too, Dude, but he bro. also had, he had, he had I, I think, yeah. But the issue was not the coach. Was it? It was. The, I don't think the issue was the coaching change. It was the alignment change. It was the base. Yeah, yeah the philosophy. Change. Right, yeah. right. That was the from, problem. The, from, from going from what a three four to the four. You know, so there were some Correct. differences there, and and that tends to happen sometimes when there's coaching changes in players and any either in college or pro. So I don't expect that to be an issue. Maybe uh, in the NFL, I think he's going to be fine. I think he'll flourish in the NFL because I think. They have a certain role for him in mind, and I think he'll. I think he's going to be really good. I, I always liked well, him. Uh, I, think, him I, think, I thought he was a big factor in some of their big wins in the last couple. I of years. think. I think it helps Tristan that that he has seen. No matter his initial skepticism, he has seen how productive he can be in a four three. He yeah. was far more productive as far as numbers, just pure numbers. He was far more productive this past season than he was in Scott Frost's three four with uh, with Eric uh, Shenander. Uh, the Cowboys do run. The Cowboys have a lot of like nickel sets, so they'll run like four twos and three threes because they put a lot of of DBs on the field. But I think with the way that Tristan played last year in the four three, I think that gives him comfort to know that he, while while he might have thought previously otherwise, uh, he is not just a he is just not a a a, a three four nose tackle. He does not have to be at the middle of the line. He can line up uh, off a guard, off a center. And, and work either way. And so I think he'll fit in well. It's just, you know, it's about it's about commitment, too. It's about practicing hard. These are things that Tristan had problems with. Practicing hard, practicing consist- consistently hard, uh, knowing the playbook, just being smart. Uh, and, and, give, and, then, and then giving consistent effort uh, on the field when things aren't some going your way. Jeff brought up, he's what, 21 years? He's, some of that is immature. Right. Um, so sure. You know, yeah, but now, but now, but now I, think, I think here's the thing. Yeah, you're like you said, you're he's a professional. You're playing with live ammo and you're getting paid a lot of money to do this. So I, I, I do think he's in a good spot. I, I know that if, you know, Rod Marinelli is as invested in him as Jeremy, you were alluding to. I think that's a good sign for him because he'll have that sort of stability that I think he's looking for. I want to talk about the undrafted guys, because this was a really good week for undrafted players from. Uh, UCF and and you know some detractors might say oh look you only had one draft pick well that shows how much talent's coming back um, 
I rattled them off on the early part. I'm going to go with each of you guys and just give me a sentence or two, Eric, uh, on uh, on which of the undrafted guys do you think has the best chance to make the roster of the team that brought them in? So, Jeremy, I want to start with you. I'm going to – so, basically, if we take away the guys that had the – if we're looking just at the guys that have – actual training camp invites right now. So that's Snelson and Causey yeah. and Matt, Matt Wright. And those, well, Wyatt. those four guys are actually signed to undrafted contracts, but the other four, so Mac Laddermilk, Kyle Gibson, Michael Colubiali, Taj McGowan, they all have training camp invites, but they haven't been signed to contracts. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Um, but I'm going to stick with what I originally thought. Um I think just because of fit, um, I'm going to go with Dredrick Snelson. Uh, okay. Wide receiver is a big need for the Jacksonville Jaguars, with, especially with the new quarterback. And they did not draft a receiver, which is the big thing. I would say Richard Causey, but the Falcons drafted two corners on top of that. So for that reason, I'll go with uh, Snelson. Uh, Murph, go ahead. I like that pick a lot. I thought about Selson for a long time today because I figured this question would be asked. However, uh, I'm not allowed see... to take Nelson. I'm not. I'm, not, I'm saying. I'm saying about Selson. The reason why I wouldn't, I didn't pick him, is actually because I feel like I feel like he's going to be just being a slot corner or slot, a slot receiver. Excuse me. So with with Marquise Lee, I just don't understand how that how that's going to to work a whole a whole lot. Uh, or you're so assuming I, that Marquise Lee is going to stay up for like two games without paper for leg. <laughs> yeah. Right, I understand. Yes, I understand. But he is he is probably the best receiver when he's not injured, even though he is injured quite often. Uh, so I will actually go. Uh, I will actually go to the same team. And first of all, I will say thank you, thank you, Rashard Causey, for sh- for signing a contract. That is, makes me so happy because I feel like he got no pub at all last year. And there was the one guy I said on this podcast last week that I really wanted to see signed was Rashard Causey because he earned it with the way he played against Cincinnati and Memphis in the, in the championship game and, and later on in the year. And so I'm so happy for him. But I will say that one guy I think has a chance to really stick is probably Michael Kalubiali with the same team in Jacksonville. They have basically nothing in terms of uh, offensively, you know, guys who can really produce uh, yards and catches from the tight end position. Uh, he's a move tight end. Uh, he can block pretty well, but he's got enough athleticism to be a, a guy you can line up in the slot and run down the seam or run posts. Uh, so I think he can work there in Jacksonville basically because they have a huge need at the position he plays. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, Eric, go ahead. No, I'm with Murph on Causey. I, I like him and you can't go wrong with UCF and defensive backs, right? Right. I right, mean, right. In the NFL. I mean, and let me just say this about Snelson. Cause I know some fans are like, you see, you should have stayed, come back for another year. You know, that teaches you a lesson. Right. Think of, and let me add, t- correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you guys. You can all chime in on this. Even if Dedrick Snelson comes back, I don't think his stock improves at all. Uh, I think he was capped out. Remember, there's a ton of receivers on the UCF roster. It wasn't like he was going to be a featured guy. It's regardless of who you believe is going to be the starting quarterback and how you feel about him. They're not going to be at the level of McKenzie Milt, right? So there's going to be a drop-off. How much? I don't know. But there's going to be a drop-off. So, And this year's draft was actually not as strong from a wide receiver standpoint than compared to last mm-hmm. year. So I don't think he made a mistake by some people leaving. Sometimes you just got to go. 
you know, and some guys just want to get paid and play. The thing that I feel sorry for guys like Snelson and, and other football players when they made this decision, when they made this decision at the time, you had the alliance that was starting. You have the XFL next year, and then you got the Canadian Football League. So just because if things don't work out in the NFL, you had other options. Now, unfortunately, the, the alliance, as we've discussed, obviously is no longer around, and we don't even know what's going to happen with the XFL. But the Canadian Football League is around. Sometimes you just move on, and you just want to play pro football and get a paycheck. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. one of the interesting things I learned about the CFL is that if you, if you get signed to a CFL team out of college, you have to commit to it for two years. I didn't realize that you can't go to the NFL after one year. So um, now I was I was about to say Richard Causey, not just because of the reasons that you guys illuminated, but also, you know, they lost Robert Alford and Kamal Ishmael, who a former UCF uh, uh, UCF Knight himself has been in Atlanta for a long time, um, kind of bounced in between, you know, the, the starting secondary and special teams. Well, he's moved to linebacker this year. So. Atlanta right there is down two key defensive backs heading into this year. They needed DB help, and I think Richard Causey is great. But that's not where I'm going to go. I think <laughs> the guy who has the best chance to make his team is Matt Wright with the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I'll tell you why. We know that, kicker, that, that Pittsburgh is where kickers go to die. But <clears throat> last year, all right, they had Chris Boswell, who in the first 15 games was 13 for 20. Awful by NFL standards. Um, he was injured. He was IR'd the last game. They brought in somebody named Matthew McCrane, who played, you know, who made, I think, two kicks, two or three kicks in their season finale. But the Steelers were Matthew McCrane's third team that season. So <laughs> you're not going to get great consistency for him. Um, if Matt Wright can prove himself kicking in off of that god awful horrendous turf that they have in Pittsburgh. Uh, he may very well be their starting kicker uh, on Sundays. No slight to all the other guys, but I think that if we're talking about like who, who's got the highest probability um, right now, to me, it seems like Matt Wright would be the guy uh, in, Pitts, uh, in Pittsburgh. And of course I'd love to see him. And if not, guess what? He's going to go work for Elon Musk or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. He'll be fine. He'll be fine one way or the other way. I want to go back to Jeremy. Last question. For you, um, we touched upon you know the surprise of Titus Davis really not getting signed, um, and obviously there were a couple other guys. I want to look ahead to twenty twenty because just real quick, um, because this is where things are going to start to get interesting. Where those guys were that first came in under Scott Frost are going to start going. Uh, if I had to ask you who would be the highest-picked UCF Knight in the 2020 NFL Draft, who would it be? That's tough, Jeff. Oh, I know. That's, that's oh. why I'm here, man. It's, I love I, this, is, this is my draft class. Can I be the first pick? Go I'm going to walk on this year. <laughs> I'm going to walk on. Yeah, or you could be, be a no, draft grad transfer. I'm the quarterback. Um, I'll be on. Okay. Um to to be totally honest with you mm. here the person that stands out to me is the person that like will definitely get drafted um I, I wouldn't necessarily say he'll be the first person off the board but i think the person with the highest chance of getting drafted is jordan johnson and the reason why i say that is because he is 
He's been the most consistent starter. He hasn't really played any bad football here. He's going to get another year um, where he starts, you know, and he's just been a really good, and he's a center too, which you don't see a whole lot of. Um, And he can also play guard. He can maybe even swing out to tackle, although I'd keep him on the inside. Um, Jordan Johnson is definitely, you know, as if he can stay healthy and if he can, you know, stay on the trajectory that's been on, I think he could be like a good mid round selection. I am so glad you picked Jordan Johnson. Uh, real quick, uh, uh, Murph, what do you think? Richie Grant. Richie he Grant. Actually, you know, the he NFL, it, he's the highest guy in the NFL's, uh, in the NFL.com's, I think, top 100 for 2020, which I think was Right. I think I saw another list. He was uh, among the top. Well, I think that was a college list. But regardless, uh, yeah, Richie Grant. I mean, he actually could have come out this past year. He was a redshirt sophomore. So three years out, he could have come out. Actually, would have been wouldn't not have been a bad idea for him to come out, considering I, I don't think it was a great class for safety. Uh, but coming back, uh, if he does what he did last year, which is basically put himself into the conversation for like the Jim Thorpe Award, uh, and, and do that again, yeah, he's going to be taken in the first uh, two days. Elo, I gotta agree with Murph. I mean, again, defensive backs, UCF and the NFL have a good history and a good relationship. So I'll go with that. Let me throw two names here. Trey Nixon and Gabe Davis, wide receivers, both juniors. You know, Nixon, 6'2", 180. He's a redshirt junior. Quarters came from Ole Miss. Gabe Davis. uh, If one of them has a big year, kind of like a Traquan Smith type year, maybe they uh, get a high draft pick, no? I, you kind of stole my guy. I love Gabe Davis. I, I yeah. really think that he, he, if, if he comes out, I hope he doesn't, but he's the kind of receiver that NFL teams will just salivate over. He's got great speed downfield. He's six foot three, 212 pounds. Um, if he has another a big year, like he did this past year, if he improves on what he did, um, boy, he's going to be something else in the net at the next level. I really do think that, um, and, and again, he'll have a actually good opportunity to, to figure that out with all the quarterbacks who might be in the mix. All right, Jeremy Brenner, thank you so much for uh, for joining us to talk some of these guys for the NFL draft. Uh, real quick, where can people... Man. Make this a series, all right, man? Please Rocket make this seven, y'all. <laughs> Listen, don't, don't, don't give up. Fear the beard. Where, where, can, where can people send their bad Rockets takes to you? They can send their bad Rockets takes to me at Jeremy Brenner. That's uh, J-E-R-E-M-Y-B-R-E. N-E-R. And how many more days of school do you have left? Uh, I've been actually, you know, I, the, the Widowmaker ended two weeks ago, actually. Okay. Uh, but I'm still in recovery. I'm still in recovery. Um, I know, it's going to take a while. Don't call me lie. for at least a month. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I will, I'm, I'm glad to be on my summer vacation, but also uh, hoping that this summer is, uh, an effective and meaningful one. There you go. Well, we'll be, well, we're going to try our best to, uh, in spite of ourselves to try and make it that for you as well. <laughs> Jeremy Brenner joining <laughs> us here on black and gold. Banneret. Thanks again, Jeremy. Thanks, Jeff. All right, folks, stick around. When we come back, we'll talk, uh, some, some basketball, uh, and, uh, some transfers coming over to Johnny Dawkins for UCF for the UCF men's team. Stick around. The black and gold Banneret podcast is back after this. All right, welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast, blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Let's talk a little men's basketball. Um, the uh, roster is filling out Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez. 
um, with the addition uh, earlier today, officially, of uh, a local kid. Matt Milan, who played his high school ball at Oviedo High School, uh, graduated there in 2015, went to Boston College for a year, then transferred to William & Mary, uh, finished up his junior year at William and & Mary, and then, uh, but actually graduated and, and is now a graduate transfer. He is coming back home. He's coming to UCF um, to, fill, uh, to fill out one more roster spot, one more scholarship spot for Johnny Dawkins heading into 2019-2020. Uh, um, Some of the um, I- information about Matt, you know, he's actually a very good shooter, always has been going back to his days. At Oviedo, he was 42% from three-point range uh, last year, uh, and uh, including, uh, and he's played uh, three seasons of 30 games each. Uh, he started all but three games uh, the last two seasons at William and Mary. He is a 42% career three-point shooter, um, and certainly will help to fill some of the holes left by, uh, by well, I, I guess to, to some extent, B.J. Taylor's outside shooting and Aubrey Dawkins' is outside shooting, and he's kind of a callback to Matt Williams in a way. He's a lefty, um, six foot five, so, uh, so we know that. He's pretty big. He told Despina Barton of uh, Spectrum Sports 360, he said, coming home, family, seeing every game is cool for me. Coach Dawkins has turned the program around, and I want to be a part of it. So... Um, that's certainly a big, a big endorsement. Uh, in addition to some of the other guys who filled out, um, the roster, including you mentioned, uh, Brian days Ingram, who comes over from, uh, who comes over from Alabama and will likely be the point guard for the team. And he's pretty big himself at six foot five. So we're seeing this thing sort of fill out for Johnny Dawkins, Brian. What do you think you about this? I'll give up my time. I'll, I'll cede my time to the gentleman, no, uh, Mr. Merv, Lopez. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Merv. Don't you remember? I don't remember. It was a couple episodes ago where Jeff's throwing the panic button. Him and Knights fans like, what are we going to do? We don't have a roster. We got nobody to play with. Oh, my God. The sky's falling. At the time, it was. Was it? Because I got to tell yeah. you something. I like this roster. And there's going to be some guys, not next year, but I think in a year after next year, this team could be just as good as this past year's team. I like the roster. I, Ooh, I saw Dave's that is that play. is some flaming hot takery right thank there, you. baby. Well, thank you very Man. much. My computer is on fire. Let me just throw this out. Tony Johnson, the freshman kid out of Alabama, a better <laughs> prospect than B.J. Taylor was coming out at this point. So let's just go with that. All right, because for all you amateur Recruits are like, well, I don't know if Coach Dawkins can recruit, you know. Also, we have to understand in the new age of college athletics, especially in basketball, you're not going to feel like the days of, hey, everybody in our class is all from a high school class. It's over. You're going to see guys depart like we did with Tony Allen going to Georgetown. And you're going to see guys come here like we have this offseason. So for anybody to freak out and panic like, Oh, my God, all these guys, we're going to be rock bottom. We might not win five games this year. He was going to fill out a roster. It's going to be that. a roster with talent. It's going to be a roster with young talent. Are they going to have their ups and downs? Yeah, but they've got size. They've added a shooter in Milan. They've got guards. Let's see how they play together. That's all I'm saying. I'm excited by some of these young guys. They have a lot of upside. They're very young. But I think, and Murph has said this, I think we all knew next year was going to be this upcoming year is going to be a rebuilding year. And you hope that 
if these guys grow into the potential and get better as the year goes on, and then you can make another run at the NCAA tournament the year after that and make a two- to three-year run. Right, Murph? Yeah, but first of all, this team will not be – it will be young, but I don't, I don't want I want to stress. It won't be as young as you seem to, to portray it to be. Milan and, and Ingram are here for one year. Uh, they are grad transfers who can play immediately. So that's fun. Uh, they are stopgaps. They're they're stopgaps. They right. are, they are they're they're basically they're basically bridge panels uh, to the next generation of UCF players, meaning Tony Johnson, Darren Green, uh, right. guys like that. So, which is really uh, the nucleus for the future, really. I mean, there's right, exactly. certain guys this, you build for the future, and then you have some stopgap veteran guys to help you kind of in the meantime. So what UCF is trying to do? This is still again, this is still a rebuilding year. What UCF is trying to do is sort of just hold the fort uh, for this year and, and then sort of kick the can down the road to next year where the young kids you know, might get some playing time and get a year, year basically just a year around the college game under their belts and get to experience some college game. And then they start playing more and more as sophomores in the 2020 season, 2020, 2021. So, uh, or excuse me, um, what, what year is it? Uh, anyway. Now you got that right. You're good. Yeah, I did. I did, I did get that right. So I do want to say, um, I, I think these. I, I don't mind these signings. These signings make a ton of sense. Uh, you needed a point guard after Terrell Allen left for Georgetown. I don't think we mentioned that. He's officially uh, uh, in Georgetown now. So that's correct. You've got you've got that point guard in, in Dazon Ingram. Uh, you need a shooter with uh, BJ Aubrey gone. You've got that now in in the Oviedo, uh, in the Oviedo zone, Matt Milan. I think there is one scholarship spot remaining, and I think right. that will go to another guard. If I had to guess, I, I have no names. Don't ask me for names. Uh, I, there are a ton of transfers who are still out there, big, highly rated right. transfers. But I would not look to be like, I don't think UCF's going to sign one of the one of the big dog guys in the, tra- in the transfer window. I, but what they will sign is another guard, because even with Ingram, they probably need another sure-handed ball uh, handler, yeah. a facilitator, a guy who can move the ball around because if you look at the roster right now, besides Ingram, who's good at that, you have Cesar DeJesus, who's really not really a point guard. He's really not a passer. He's a driver. And then you have Tony Johnson and Darren Green, and they're freshmen. And I just don't know what you can expect out of them. And I don't think they want to expect – I would assume they don't want to expect a whole much out of them uh, in their first year out. So I think with Johnson think that- they do, though, though, Murph. I mean, one of them has to be. I think Johnson's the guy that probably – needs to you know kind of like bj taylor did in his freshman year where you you know goes through his ups and downs but you know had a good freshman year if johnson plays he probably plays i assume a very a heavily limited role of about 10 minutes a game that's that that is yeah wow. that is my that is my assumption I might take well, you luke, over luke saris actually brought up a great point he said on yeah Twitter i know what you're gonna say i know you're, i know you're gonna say jeffrey and it is a great point so go ahead yeah he's, he said uh this is quoting uh savage luke on twitter he says uh at some point next season ucf starting five could consist of all transfers and he yeah. mentioned Juan Locke who came over from uh from tcu um people forget um but it's true colin smith was a transfer from george washington um he didn't transfer this year, but he is a transfer from somewhere. Uh, Ibrahim uh, Famuke Dumbia, uh, who came over from South Carolina, could be the three. Uh, and then you have Matt Milan at the two and Dazon Ingram at the one. So, you know, that's that's a total overhaul. <laughs> and and that, lineup, that lineup would not surprise me, especially once we break into conference play, because, again, a lock will not be available until the end of the fall semester. 
Right, right. But uh, and, and again, it's a young team. And here's the thing. This talented. is college basketball in the new century. I think we're going to have to wait. Instead of reacting in March and April about the roster for next year, you're going to have to wait because there's going to be some additions and subtractions like this. And, and Murph said it. We're, they're not done yet. They're not done yet. They're not. So, no. How about we just give the – I don't know. This is a crazy idea. Let's give the coach a benefit of the doubt or know what he's doing. And just because you may not, you know, hey, he's not a high school freshman. I don't know what he's a two-star or one-star or three-star. Can we just give the guy a break to fill out his roster? You might be surprised. It might be pretty good. I'm pretty optimistic. I, I I, like what I'm seeing. I'm excited to see the young players. I'm actually a little more higher up on the freshmen than Murph is. We'll see. We'll, me and her, him will disagree, agree to disagree. We'll argue at the basketball games. We'll check the box scores. But it's going to be exciting to see what happens. Let's give them the, the benefit of the doubt instead of like, oh, my God, let's throw the panic button. Well, I mean, I guess I guess with all these guys coming into UCF as transfers, I think we can officially put to bed the Johnny Dawkins coaching rumors. I think that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, also because every job in college hoops is filled. So, yeah, there you go. So, yeah, we can we can put that story to bed now. Well, uh, well hold on, Murph. Wait a minute. You say that, but uh, I disagree. The FBI, uh, the whole trial is sure is going to wrap up. There could be some casualties from that. No, there won't. No, there won't. Oh, no. I think Sean Miller. Sean Miller. There's on tape that Sean Miller paid uh, Aiton like $10,000. Yeah, but Will Wade's already already back at LSU. I feel like he's Sean Miller get a raise. (laughs) All right. Just mark it down. All right. Yeah. Um, all right, so that'll wrap it up on basketball. I wanted to touch upon that. Um, the other big story right. that happened this week. By what? Way, real quick on the Alabama kid, Ingram. He played against UCF. That's true. Uh, in November when UCF beat Alabama. Uh, had, uh, had 18 minutes, four assists. He fouled out in the game. You know, had his moments. He was coming off the bench. So it, if you were at that game against Alabama, you got to see your potentially the future starting point guard for UCF, as kind of wild as that is. Unfortunately, Murph missed that because he was covering the NCAA tournament volleyball. So I did. I, I was I was basketball that's not, adjacent. That's, that's, that's not that's that's not nothing to knock. I'm here to say that. Um, all right, <laughs> moving over tennis. What a great historic week it was for UCF tennis. Eric Lopez. Um, we're uh, so both teams, both UCF teams, get into the NCAA tournament. The men's team uh, will face Florida State uh, in the uh, first round of the uh, NCAA tournament, uh, and they will play uh, at Gainesville. They're in that Gainesville bracket. Surprise, surprise! UCF team gets to go to Gainesville, despite the fact that uh, they came in second in the conference. UCF men's tennis is in. Um, and then also the women's tennis team, they obviously had an automatic bid and they are heading um, into the uh, they head into the NCAAs. But again, they are not hosting, at least not yet, um, since they will be heading to Tallahassee uh, themselves. They will play Alabama in the first round uh, for uh, in this coming uh, weekend. So uh, in addition to that, uh, a couple of individual uh, champion uh, champions are, are actually doubles teams and singles uh, actually were invited to the doubles and singles tournament. Uh, Valeria Zaleva and Ksenia Kuznetsova of UCF, the doubles team, they were an at-large selection to the NCAA tournament at the US at the USTA uh, national campus. That's over on the uh, women's side. On the uh, men's side, you had one doubles team and uh, and one. Uh, and one singles go over as uh, at-larges 
uh, on the men's tennis side. Because remember that the team tournament and the singles and doubles tournaments um, were uh, are 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 actually separate events, although they take place at the same place. Um, Bogdan Pavel and Trey Hildebrand are going to the doubles championship as automatic qualifiers, and uh, Gabriel DeCamps will go as an at-large to the singles. So, Eric, big year for UCF tennis, just like we were expecting. Um, and, uh, and well, here's here's my question to you. Uh, are we, obviously, we're going to see the singles and doubles teams when the tournament starts at Lake Nona, but what about the women's and men's teams? What are the chances that they can get back to Lake Nona starting with the quarterfinals? Um, that's, where, that's where that would start at Lake Nona on May 16th. The tournament, the whole NCAA tennis tournament uh, at Lake Nona starts with the team quarters, May 16th. And then they go through to the finals, and then they have the singles and doubles tournaments right after through the 25th. So uh, what do you think? Well, the one guarantee, I know one team that's going to be there, and that's you and me, Jeffrey. We're going to be there. Murph, you're welcome to join us. I don't know how it works in your busy schedule with Yankee baseball and UCF baseball during that time frame, <laughs> but we will be out there for that. Look, I think it's a tough draw. By the way, props to you, Jeff. I don't know where last week you called this. You found the bracketology in tennis who nailed this, mostly because tennis goes by rankings. There is really no committee needed. They just go based on rankings. But props to you because you called this last week. These were pretty much the matchups that the, that you found. You hear that, ladies and gentlemen? Eric Lopez just gave me props live on that. Wow. That's right, brother. Historic moment in the podcast. Um, look, it's a tough draw, right? I think the women, obviously, you would think, you know, they beat Alabama earlier this year. So they've had success against Alabama. Uh, how much of a big deal is home field in tennis? Who knows? But, you know, both teams have to go on the road. That's going to be tough. I would lean towards the women just because they've been more consistent. But, you know, it's a tough road to go on the road in state. For, you know, the men's got to play Florida State to get to Florida. Florida's the number three the, seed, too, I think. In Florida's the midst, a three national seed, whereas yeah. the FSU's the 11. So I would give use the women's team, who's been the more consistent team, maybe the, the better shot to get to Lake Nona for the quarterfinals, but they're going to have to do it on the road. It's going to be a tough road, but hey, look, the fact they're even, this has been a remarkable year. You mentioned it's the first time both programs make the NCAA tournament in the same year. You're shocked by that. Uh, I, I, I am because they've, they've had, right. you know, peaks, they've had peaks yeah. and valleys that you, and you think that at some point over the last 20 years, they would have matched up once and they literally missed each other by one year, I think several times, but this is the first time that they both made it the same year. Yeah, which means Kenny's got a hard job. He's been hel- helping out as the media relations for That's both right. tennis. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what they're gonna do. Man. Is he gonna be back and forth in Gainesville and Tallahassee? It's a two-hour drive, so um, I'm sure he'll get some help. But it's gonna be fun, and it'll be exciting to see how they fare. Um, kind of a bummer that they kind of get treated like softball and baseball has in the past. Softball always got sent to Gainesville, it seemed, and baseball always gets sent to Tallahassee. So that's kind of hot what happens with tennis here, but. You know, let's see what happens. And, and you know, they're, both teams are playing well going in, and I think that's a positive. And John Roddick, he's got experience in the NCAA tournament. Uh, when they were there two years ago, they didn't win their first-round match. We'll see if they can do it this time. We'll see if the women can win a first-round match for the second year in a row and how far they can go. But truly a remarkable story for this program to where it was, what, Jeff, four or five years ago? Yeah. Um, where it's near the bottom, was you know. Let's be honest. To be kind, it was at the bottom of UCF athletics, right? I mean, Crimin- it was um, criminally underinvested in. It was. It, it, yeah. it, the, the, I still feel that those coaches, you know, deserved a better shake. 
um, that were there. But, you know, like I said, that's just me. But to see UCF and Danny White invest in tennis to the extent that he has taken well, the advantage. Well, the hire, let's, 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 again, the hire made of John, John Roddick. Roddick huge story in the sport of tennis. John Roddick was a coach at Oklahoma. They played for the national championship. I mean, that's significant. That's like getting – that would be the equivalent of getting, you know, this year would have been uh, Chris Beard, for example, at Texas Tech to come to UCF or a, uh, you know, a, you know, Dabo Sweeney or Nick's, you know, whatever. To, you know, you make the equation. I mean, John Roddick's one of the, the top coaches in the sport to be not only the head coach of the men's team but the, be the director of tennis, which means he gets to pick the women's coach. And what a, what a home run hire that was with Brian – to run yeah. the women's program. Just a remarkable job for a credit to Coach Roddick, a, cur- a credit to Brian, uh, the head coach of the women's side, a credit to Danny White for seeing this vision to be- and then to be in that facility with Lake Nona, moving their home matches to Lake Nona at the USTA Center, which has drawn tremendous fan support and coverage. Uh, just, a, just a credit to everybody. They deserve it. So here's your schedule. The key day is going to be Friday, May the 3rd. Uh, Both teams are playing on Friday, May the 3rd. The women's team plays Alabama at 2 p.m. in Tallahassee. By the way, they're ranked number 24 in the country. The UCF women's tennis team is. Um, Alabama is number 35 in the country coming in. The men's team, their match starts, will will start as the women's team's match is happening at 3 p.m., one hour later. Uh, and they are facing uh, Florida State. The UCF men are 29th in the ITA, or 29th, are ranked 29th, and uh, and the Florida State Seminoles are 27th. So um, that gives you an idea of the challenges that they face ahead. Again, Friday, 2 p.m., the women, 3 p.m., the men. No word on whether or not they're going to have any live video from those feeds. Well, I know men, Florida, to their credit, uh, they will have video streaming. of. Oh, they will? Okay, good. At- the men's there's already a link up on ucfnights.com florida i've worked with florida over the years in softball tournaments and regionals they do a great job of putting televising all their sports uh florida state not so much so we'll see if fsu does or doesn't i I see i see just a live stats link i don't see now um, yeah so that's unfortunate maybe that'll change uh i don't know if the tennis channel maybe gets involved or somebody else gets involved but i know that the florida one at least will be televised and look hey look i mean let's be honest i mean uh, it's a, it's it's going to be fun, and and I'm looking forward to that, and hope for the best for those two programs. But what a job, those two! That's definitely one of the top stories. In fact, uh, the women's team winning the conference championship, I think, was voted on the uh, Swords Awards as their women's sports moment of the year. Tell you how big that is! That's Think about nice. that. Women's tennis, the moment of the year in in women's sports this year in UCF, according to the Swords Awards. Whether they win that in the banner in the Bannerette uh, Awards in the Bannies down the road remains to be seen. That's another thing that we're going to have to talk about a little bit later on. All right, let's get take another quick break. When we get back, we'll talk baseball and softball uh, when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here as we're going to wrap things up here in our final segment as we look ahead to uh, UCF baseball and softball, and we'll catch you up on some other news and notes from uh, golf and uh, from golf as well <clears throat> as uh, track and field. But I want to start with baseball because, um, well, they got the they, they got the win and the series win over Memphis. It was not easy by any stretch of the imagination, uh, getting two out of three against Memphis at home. 
They won one game, twelve to eleven, in uh, in uh, fashion that was a uh, the first game of the series rather twelve to eleven in a fashion that I'm sure they're not thrilled with because they had a huge lead and almost blew it. Mm-hmm. Um, lost seven to twelve. Uh, lost 12, excuse me, twelve to seven on Saturday, and then Sunday um, ended up getting the victory seven to six and another nail biter. Uh, and then walk they had off. to go to walk off to yeah walk off fashion on uh, Sunday to, to take the series. And then they got another. Uh, they got another extra inning victory on the road at UNF, nine to seven on Tuesday. And this is before UCF heads up to New Orleans to face Tulane. So, uh, once again, Brian Murphy, where are we now? Feeling better about this team than we probably have been at any point in the conference season up till now. Uh, so, so certainly a win is indeed better than a loss. <laughs> yes. How about that? You know, it's, it's amazing how that, that bit of knowledge never fails. Um, UCF winning the conference, the winning the series against Memphis last weekend. Uh, they win two out of three. Yeah. It's all, it's their second conference series win, but really the first one all year in which they left the weekend feeling good about themselves. Uh, the, the previous conference series win came against USF. And they lost the last game of that series it was Sunday, a really ugly game. So they kind of left that 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 weekend pretty sour. Uh, this is obviously the reverse of that. They had a walk off celebration on uh, on Sunday when they beat Memphis. Jay Lyons, who I'll talk about here in a minute, uh, providing the walk off single. There was not even a team meeting. Love Lady always holds a team meeting after every game with his guys out in right field. And usually those meetings run pretty long, sometimes uh, five, ten minutes. Uh, that meeting for after that game on Sunday was probably about 90 seconds. And uh, I, cause it, it, it kind of floored me cause I was missed uh, the uh, press availability cause love lady was just ready to talk to the media and I was not there yet. But um, so anyway, uh, we, and we asked him why was it so short? And he goes, well, we didn't need a meeting. We just wanted to scream and get out of there where there was so much frustration built up with this team that, uh, that they just, they, they were so happy to win and, and, and get that series uh, victory. Uh, a couple of things to mention coming out of that Memphis series. Jay Lyons uh, is our new Lord and Savior, and I for <laughs> one, and, and I for one, welcome our Jay Lyons overlord. Uh, Jay Lyons is a freshman infielder uh, from Tampa, I believe, who really has not played at all this season. I believe coming into this past week, uh, he had 15 at bats on the season. Uh, he had uh, 13. Uh, he had 15 at bats versus Memphis. Actually, 17, if you include the two at-bats he had against uh, Bethune-Cookman. He went 7-for-17 this past week. He got on base 12 times in 20 plate appearances. He played because Tyler Oakley... (laughs) That's not bad, Jeffrey. Now, I will say, I am taking liberties there. I'm I'm, I'm sort of of spitting narratives because that does include, like, reaching on fielder's choices (laughs) and and reaching on errors. But you know what? He's on base, so counts in my book even though it doesn't count on base percentage, um, but still, seven, for, ball. <laughs> seven for 17 uh, in, in those games, uh, three hits, three hits in a couple of those games. And he was playing in place of Tyler Osen, who really has been this team's, I would say best, uh, eh, best overall, close best overall hitter next to Ray Alejo and Dallas Bieber. He's right around there. Arguably their best player uh, offensively. So Alejo, so Osik gets suspended uh, because he gets ejected from a game the previous weekend, so this is going back to April 20th, he gets ejected. It's his second ejection of the year. 
which constitutes a three-game suspension for a college player in college baseball for arguing with the umpire. Yeah, three-game suspension if you're if you're ejected more than once for arguing with an umpire. So Lyons has to fill in at first base, and he looks like we 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 mentioned not so lightly. We mentioned the name Wally Pip over the weekend <laughs> because oh be, because. Because Lyons was playing so well defensively, offensively, he was saving runs with his glove. He was knocking the ball over the yard. It was amazing for a guy who had played so little uh, all season to come out and really carry this team over the past week. Um, it's been it's been fantastic to see. And then, of course, because this is the season of UCF baseball where everything has gone pretty wrong, uh, Lyons comes out of the game last night in Jacksonville with some hamstring tightness. Uh, they hope it's not major. Uh, we just don't know yet. We will see. Hopefully, he's available for this series at Tulane. Yeah, he's a graduate of King High School. He's a freshman. He's only five foot eight. Yeah, very stocky kid. Yeah, um, kind of reminds me a little bit of Ronnie Richardson. A little bit, doesn't he remind you of mm-hmm. him? Yeah, a, l- and, a little bit. Yeah, but, uh, but it's been fun to see him uh, to see him develop. I mean, it, 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 so quickly. You know, I mean, even his high school numbers were were. V- Good, you know he was uh, in uh, as a senior in high school. He was a two eighty six hitter in twenty two games with eighteen runs batted in. I mean, it's you know it's not not exactly like lighting the world on fire, but but it's funny how you know you got a guy in the right situation and it works out like that. So uh, he was two for he was two for fifteen before this past week. Then he was seven for seventeen. I mean, it's look, it's baseball. Things fluctuate, but when when Osik came back, he was actually a thing about Tyler Osik here. He was eligible to play on Sunday, but he was held out due to coach's decision. Uh, I think that was sending a message to Tyler Osick about his sort of uh, attitude and, and penalty. It's really a, a sort of a penalty for getting ejected again. Um, so he didn't play Sunday. And then Osick did play Tuesday against North Florida. Uh, but Osick batted sixth. Customarily, he bats about second or third. He batted sixth while Lions batted fifth. And yeah. I think that is hilarious. <laughs> All right, let's. I want to talk about Tulane real quick coming up because yes. they uh, right now Tulane is second place in the league. They're nine and five, twenty-seven and seventeen overall. Second place behind ECU, uh, and this is in New Orleans, so a tall order nonetheless. But you know we've seen what Tulane has been able to do, and this is the last conference series before the Knights basically get that bye week. Right. Where they have no, uh, they have no conference game. They again, they were going to get Dayton uh, in here that weekend, but Dayton bailed. Um, yep. So from so from here on out, it's three games against Tulane: Friday, Saturday, Sunday in New Orleans. Then it's Tuesday against Bethune Cookman at home. Then the Knights get eight days off, and they go to Miami to play the Canes and Coral Gables on Wednesday. Or, no, what am I saying? That's totally wrong. The next day is uh, the next day after the Bethune game on May eighth. They yeah. go to Miami to play in the Coral Gables. Then they get six days off. I beg your pardon. And then they go. Uh, they play a, they, a Tuesday game at Florida Atlantic in Boca before two days later beginning the final three game set of the regular season against the Houston Cougars at home Thursday, May sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth. So. The outlook, Brian Murphy, for this series against Tulane. Are you feeling a little bit better now, or are you still very cautious? Uh, you have to be a little cautious versus Tulane now. Why I will is give that? you a couple. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm getting into that, Jeffrey. Hold your horses. It's Derby weekend. Hold them. Uh, 
now the pitching side for UCF is getting better. I believe Jordan Spicer has basically solidified himself as the Sunday starter. So if you're on Twitter and you follow UCF baseball on Twitter, you might have been noticing that the last uh, about a month and a half, they've been putting out the pitching rotation matchups for the past every week. And it's always been Grant Sherman, Chris Williams, and some movie baseball player. Some That's a pop total culture reference. <laughs> correct. I believe those pop culture references are uh, by the wayside. Now, I believe Jordan Spicer is uh, their Sunday starter. He's pitched really well, I'd say, in the last three or four outings. And that's good for this team. It's also good that David Litchfield is back. Uh, David Litchfield, who was going to be like a high average, high leverage reliever coming into this year, coming off of Tommy John surgery, but then had complications with Tommy John recovery. Didn't know if he'd pitch this year. He actually pitched his first game of the year on Saturday versus Memphis. So all of this is good. And all of this is to say that UCF's going to need all of those arms because there's one thing that Tulane does, and it's mash. They absolutely crush the baseball, <laughs> and it's amazing. And so, so first of all, uh, I think when you talk about Tulane, the first thing I mentioned is Cody Hosey. So Cody Hosey is a guy last year, had a nice year, he had five home runs, and it was a decent hitter, whatever. Uh, this year, he's having a bit of a better season. He is... Uh, has a 408 average. He has 21 home runs. 21. That's that's tied for the lead in all of America. Uh, I believe his OPS is around 1300. Is that good? Because I think that's good. That's and pretty then good. He, and then he's not like only, the only guy who's good on this team. There are five guys on this team who are hitting above 330. There are three guys. And the other two names escaped me because I can't. I'm I'm flailing through my tabs and I had the names all listed and I can't find them. But unfortunately, uh, there are there are three other guys in this in this in this on this team. Uh, well, two other guys besides Hosey, who are among the top ha- among the top six in the American in things like hits and and uh, slugging percentage. The Grant average. Witherspoon, I think, is one of them, and he's hitting well, three thirty no, this year. This is and, this, uh, this is well, no one is actually. Uh, Trevor Trevor Jensen. The other one is Hudson Hudson Haskin. So those so those two guys with Hosey are among the top even top 100 of the nation in hits and uh, and runs batted in and and all these hitting categories. So this this team mashes like spectacularly. It's amazing. Hosey is a guy who was probably not on any MLB draft radars going into last year, and now this year he's probably going to be a top 40 pick. He might be taken in the first round because no matter what, if you slug 21 home runs in college in April through April, you're, you're going to play somewhere. Uh, of course, there is a there is a there is another side to this coin, and it's that Tulane can't pitch at all. <laughs> so, so well, then. in the last, so They're in the last, last 17... in the American in ERA, in fact, in conference games to back Murph part, uh, point up, Tulane in conference games ERA as a staff is near seven. It's at six eighty six. Wow, yes, that's... it's five eighty two overall for the year. Six eighty six in conference. Six sixty eight. Excuse me. Six six eight ERA in conference. There you go. In their last, that's their, that's hard to do on purpose. <laughs> in their in their last seventeen games, it's not a small sample size. In their last seventeen games, basically a month of baseball, they've given up. They've given up hundred and forty six runs. That's a lot. And a so lot of they, offense this weekend, like we just saw with Memphis, right, Mark? You would hope that UCF breaks their offense and that their their soft tossers and Sherman and Williams can 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 slow those bats down a little bit. But again, this is a team in in, in Tulane who, by the way, uh, just 
uh, lost two out of three uh, at ECU last weekend. The team, the best team in the conference, they lost two out of three. Um, and in those games, they lost 14, nothing. They lost eight, two, and then they won nine to eight. Then they, then they lost against new Orleans yesterday, 14 and nine. This is a fun team to watch because, because they can't be like four hour. These are going to be four hour games, aren't there? Yeah. This is, hey, like, I'm under is what? Three forty five. We could put it out there on in the lines here. As easily. Three forty five. I'm not going to be there so they can play all night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it, look, it's going to be you could coach it, a gumbo in that amount of time. It's great. Oh, man. But it should be fun. I mean, yeah, there's probably going to be a game somewhere this weekend where UCF, I think, gets it handed to them because that's what Tulane does to you at one point in a weekend. But there are definitely going to be we- there's definitely gonna be a couple days, I believe, where UCF's bats are going to are going to are going to feast. And it's going to be there's going to be some fun parts this weekend. And we'll just see if they can go two out of three again. All right. So at least they're, you know, they're coming in off of that two game. By the way, can I also spare some optimism here? Right. Just a little just very quietly. I'm going to say this. Yeah. Quietly have moved up to 67 in the RPI. Best uh, RPI in the league. Oh, follow me on this, boys. Tulane this weekend. Tulane, you know, they got it. This is a big series for them. Their RPI is at 83. So they're nowhere near a lot in NCAA. In fact, a lot of the projections right now have the American as a three-bid league with Houston on the bubble um, as the third team joining UConn and ECU. But follow me on this. After Tulane, they got Bethune, who's obviously terrible RPI. At mm-hmm. Miami, who has a top 10 RPI. At FAU, which Brian Murphy will be at, 45 RPI. They finish with Houston, RPI 44. I'm just saying, if this team finishes strong here, down the stretch, little Kentucky Derby week here, down the stretch we come, boys. <laughs> They're coming down the mile there. Maybe this team with a nice little run in clear water and a f- strong finish can sneak through the back there by a hair, by a length. Is that how they call it in the derby there? By a length. Gets to the That's pole. And by a nose. To the tournament. Um, Thank you. By the nose. A, a la Sunday, a la Sunday Silence in 1989 when he edged out Easy Gore. What? Did you just pull that out? That's, Are you serious? That's 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 going ah! that's going way deep, man. Holy I was a big easygoer fan. I was not way a deep. Fan back in '80. <laughs> all right, I love this. Uh, di- diving in. All right, so so that game will the, that set against Tulane will be uh, in New Orleans Friday, Saturday, uh, and Sunday. I don't think we have any video for that. Is that right? Yeah, I don't think well, Tulane should video. have video. I don't know if it's free, but they'll have video. All right, uh, we'll have to keep, we'll have to keep you updated on that one. Softball, Eric Lopez. Um, well, here we are. Uh, it's uh, they got the victory over uh, UNF earlier today. You were there uh, for that victory, but right now the team is thirty-one and twenty, but eight and ten in the American after losing two out of three uh, at home against Houston. Who uh, again? I mean, we, we Houston is one of the top three teams in the American. They're actually in third place at ten and seven. South Florida leads the league at sixteen and two. Tulsa's at fourteen and four. But the Knights right now are in fifth, and uh, and they're below five hundred in the league at eight and ten uh, right now. And they only have this last uh, this last set of uh, it was Senior Weekend at UCF. So uh, their final three game series of the season is on the road at Memphis and the Tigers. Are three and fourteen in the conference, second to last, twenty-two and twenty-eight overall. And yet, Eric Lopez, UCF softball right this moment is fifty-fourth in the latest RPI. 
That's so, correct, and that's correct. And if you go to probably going, it's probably going to drop though, isn't it? With yeah. these three games against Memphis, yeah, Memphis is not uh, not a good year this year. They're rebuilding this year, so even when they play those games, that'll drop a little bit. If you go to fastpitchnews.com, uh, Smart Man has his bracketology there on fastpitchnews.com, and you would know that UCF is among the last teams out uh, at the moment in the NCAA tournament. Uh, yeah, look. They're probably going to have to win the conference tournament, to be honest, um, at least make it to the final in Houston next week to really have a shot to make the tournament. Um, they're not going to benefit from the North Florida win or the Memphis win from that standpoint outside of intangibles like confidence, because I thought they swung the bat well on Wednesday against uh, UNF. So, you know, that's what they got to do. They got to build confidence. They should, you know, hopefully you hit Memphis, you win that series. They're probably uh, based on the odds. Again, just like the Kentucky Derby, they're probably going to be on the five post for the American Conference Championship there, uh, which means they could be playing either Wichita State or Houston in the opening round of the Conference Championship. It's a single elimination. It's going to be a tough draw. Right. But, you know, if UCF can make a run to the finals, they can have shots. So they got to build. This is what this week's about. They got to continue the momentum in Memphis, what they started on Wednesday, which was they hit the ball very well against North Florida, uh, really swung the bats, got a double digits and hits. Cassidy Brewer tied the program record for most doubles in a single season. She had two doubles in Wednesday's win. She now has 16 doubles uh, this year. That ties the record. Abby McLean in 2009, Hillary Barrow in 2009, and uh, one of Jeff's favorite, Rochelle Schmidt in 2002. They all had 16. There you go. Uh, 16 doubles. They, by the way, Roche works now with the Houston Astros, by the way, at the, those Astros home games. Um, so they all have 16. 16 doubles. That's the tie. So Cassidy just tied that record. So hopefully they can build that momentum against Memphis this weekend. Uh, they're two. They're a game up on UConn for fifth. But keep in mind they have a tiebreaker on UConn because they swept UConn at home earlier this year. So in reality, it's a two-game lead. A UCF win and a Connecticut loss, which I think will happen. UConn's hosting Tulsa, and I think UCF will beat Memphis. Should lock up the five seed for UCF. They, in theory, can move up to a three seed, but it's almost improbable. They would need Houston to get swept by the worst team in the league in East Carolina. That's not going to happen. And they would need Wichita to get swept by USF, which could happen, but it, that doesn't matter because, you know, that's a 4-5 matchup. So for UCF this week, I think you're hoping to build momentum and confidence, especially at the plate, to go into that conference tournament at Houston. So as I'm looking at how this is going to break down, like assuming that's where I, I would think, and this will be my last bit on this, but I would think that if they're going to maximize their chances of getting into the, uh, the NCAAs, aside from the fact that they would probably need to win the tournament outright anyway, obviously you would want Wichita State, but would you, would they prefer to play Houston in the first round since Houston is 35 and 16 um, yes, 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 I, yes, yes. Okay. As strange as it sounds, even though Houston's the home team, you would actually prefer, assuming UCF's going to be the five seed, okay? Which I think they're going to yeah. be. Yeah. Wichita's RPI actually, is 73, by correct. the way. Houston Whereas Houston's is 36. 36. Keep in right. mind, right. And keep in mind, Ali only started one of those games against Houston. So don't read too much into that Houston series this weekend. Um, I think the coaching staff was kind of thinking ahead here. Hey, we, you know, we're going to need a lead in the conference championship, single elimination. You don't want to, you know, make sure that a potential opponent in the near future sees her a lot. So mm. you would go through Houston. Then you would play a South Florida team within the RPI in the twenties who quite frankly, yes, they swept you, but it wasn't like a, you know, it could have gone either way. 
So I think they feel that they could play with anyone. It wasn't like, wow, this team was just so much better than us. I think they feel like if they would have swung the bats better in certain situations, they could have beaten South Florida when they hosted yeah. them, and they could have beaten Tulsa. So I don't think, I don't think they feel like, wow, there's this team, and then there's everybody else. I think there's you can make an argument five teams, Jeff, and we'll get into this more next week when we preview the tournament. I think there's five teams that can win this tournament in Houston uh, next week. So I think it's wide open. I think for UCF, the key is to just build the confidence that you started with the North Florida story swinging the bats, continue that into Memphis, and you hope you're, 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 hit, you're playing very well going into Houston. Keep in mind, too, final exams are over now at UCF. So a lot right. of these players now, who you know, not to make an excuse, but it's reality, and you know this, Jeff, having worked there, it's tough to play when you're playing during finals week. And I, that also is a factor going yeah. into the Houston series. They don't have to uh, worry about that anymore. They can just be softball players for the next two weeks. So yeah. I and think then of they course, might, that might help them. And, of course, if they if they get through, assuming that they're in the 4-5 in the first round, and, again, like you said, a single elimination, which, as you well know, I hate. We'll in get softball. into that next week. Save it for next right. week. Um, be the they, they would likely play South Florida, the one seed in the second round. Right. Which I like because, yeah. in theory, that's going to force Ken's – knowing Ken like I do, my guess is what he'll do in the first round. He's going to – He's going to try and gamble and save his ace, Corrick, for the semis. He'll probably throw his senior, Doyle, and try to save Corrick for the semis. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Um, I personally think, if you want my honest opinion, I think UCF's going to end up playing Wichita State in the opening round. I think Houston is going to sweep East Carolina. I think Houston's going to be the three seed. I think South Florida will wrap up the regular season title. I think Tulsa will be the two seed. And I think Wichita State will be the four seed. And I think that's who UCF's going to play. And the thing about it is, they can hit Wichita State pitching. They have if they if, if they're cap they're capable of doing it. They don't have to dominate pitching. They can hit them. Uh, they just have to do it, and that's what this season's going to be defined one way or the other on how this team hits. And one of the reasons why they've struggled the last few weeks is because they haven't hit, in particular, with runners on base when they've had our opportunities. They did that on Wednesday. You hope that's a positive sign moving forward. That's why he's softball woj, ladies and gentlemen. Eric Lopez catching up right. on UCF softball. All right. Did you like the Couple five post liner there, Merv? Did you like that in the five post? You know, I am I am so fired up right now. I, I actually is the only person I know who actually takes ho horse racing seriously. I'm drinking I, right now. I am currently drinking <laughs> the official bourbon of the Kentucky Derby Woods for, Woods for Reserve. I can barely pronounce it because I've had so much of it. Uh, I, by the way, it, by it, the way, it, it's, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, don't make me take this out, please. Um, <laughs> no, I'm good. By the way, as I change quickly here, uh, to answer your earlier question, Jeffrey, the Tulane series is premium video. They're Tulane All Access. Uh, so uh, bet, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to listen ESPN to ESPN Plus Daniels. cannot get here fast enough. Yeah. Hey, the, hey, UCF, UCF baseball's game last night against North Florida was on ESPN+. Plus. I know, I watched But it. because of the A-Sun, is that right? Correct. I believe so. TV, yes, yes, it is. It is. It's the A-Sun has the TV package there, uh, ESPN Plus. They already have that agreement. So, yes, if you want a video, it's going to be on Tulane All Access Video. It is premium. Uh, you could just do what I'm going to do is just listen to Mark Daniels either on the radio if you're in the car or online on the uh, on the app, so on the iHeart app. Uh, Memphis, soft, uh, Memphis video is free, so you can right. watch softball for free at Memphis uh, this weekend. Couple of things I wanted to uh, wrap up as we get through. So the uh, so UCF uh, track and field uh, finished up at the Tom Jones Memorial in Gainesville. That was their last meet before the American Athletic Tom Conference. Jones. 
outdoor uh, championships. Yes. No, not that Tom Jones. Okay. Uh, they finished in fourth in the uh, 4x400 relay. And uh, Janae Carter, uh, third in the hammer throw. And Gabby Durant was fourth in the hammer throw. So Janae also uh, fourth in the shot put. In, this, uh, in what is a, 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 a mat or a meet that uh, UCF goes to, obviously, every year? It's one of the key meets in the Southeast as they get ready for uh, the outdoor championships for the conference, which are going to be held in Wichita, Saturday, May 11th, Sunday, May 12th. Uh, with the NCAA preliminaries scheduled to be Thursday, May 23rd. Scheduled to start Thursday, May 23rd. We'll see if UCF makes that. And uh, some golf news, obviously. UCF women's golf has earned a trip to the regionals. Uh, They uh, will be playing. uh, They are the number 13 seed. They're in the Clee Ellum region. That's a place, Clee Ellum, Washington. Um, UCF is heading all the way out west. Uh, and, and they will play uh, May 6th through the 8th at Tumble Creek Golf Club uh, just outside of Seattle. And uh, the UCF men's golf team did not make the NCAA tournament. However, two players did. Uh, Kyler Tate and Bobby Bai uh, have been selected to play as individual wild cards in the NCAA Myrtle Beach uh, Regional. They'll be played at TPC Myrtle Beach. Um and they're one of 45 people, uh, 45 individuals selected um, yeah, individually. So uh, they were all, they're both all AAC, uh, all conference performers. Um, and uh, they will be, and those tournaments will take place May 13th through the 15th. So uh, keep an eye on that. All right, let's wrap this thing up real quick, fellas. Um, Murph, other than preparing for the Derby, such as you are at the moment, um, what, what do you have on tap? What are we going to be? Well, you I mean, weekend? did you expect me to talk about something else? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, How many I more will, weeks uh, till the Hamiltonian, or do we miss that? Wow, no, that's in August, at, right? Look at you, Jeffrey. So hey, look, it's East, East Rutherford's East Rutherford's premier horse racing event. I know. Um, I will be riding tomorrow. Uh, if because if I can get those, if, for those well, tuning in, it's excuse me, yeah, right. It's Wednesday now. If oh I can get boy. the video, if, if I can get the video on the site, uh, which which I'm not sure because I've not tried it yet, I will be posting. Don't an article try it about, now. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> well, it'll be great. I'll be I'll be posting an article about uh, Greg Lovelady uh, and his thoughts uh, about the resolution last week or about ten days ago now. The resolution in baseball and softball in Division One the that failed. It was the resolution to add a third paid assistant to college uh, baseball and softball programs across Division One. It was the it was only a resolution to give programs the option to pay a third assistant on those programs. But that resolution failed. There has been a cavalcade of backlash over the no vote. Uh, people not understanding why this was voted down, and I am one of them. It doesn't make sense why you would say no. To, to something that only gives you the option to do something. Uh, and so Lovelady is in that same camp. He had some, uh, he, again, he's never one to, to, uh, to, to he's, not very, he's not very short with his words. He's, uh, he's very expressive. And uh, he had some pretty good things to say to me last week that I will uh, put up uh, into an article tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, and he's not happy with what uh, has transpired. Yeah, we don't have time to get into that right now in this show, but I do want to discuss that with you guys because it's just, it's just 
Uh, fans, if you're looking for how for just the 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 screwed upness of the NCAA, um, this is not the NCAA. No, 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 no. But hold on, Jay. Let me correct you. That's this is this is not the NCAA. This was the administrators. This was nothing to do. Again, let's clarify this. this normally, we rip on the NCAA. Right. This is nothing to do with the NCAA. This was the representatives, mostly administrators from universities that were representative of these conferences that kind of uh, kind of went against some of their. But how this, but how this all went down is such an is such yeah. a how the NCAA can screw things up story. Because remember, the NCAA does a lot of the decisions that it makes, like this, are through this sort of congressional process involving the schools and representatives and right. um and, and the nexus between the coaches and the administrators, the athletic directors, etc. So we will talk about this uh, at a future show, hopefully next week, once we get. Uh, once we get a little bit more information on that, and once we get the chance to read your piece, Brian Murphy. Also, you can't, sorry, you can because this story's not going anywhere. So this story's going to have legs for a while. Yeah, yeah. And it's something yeah, it's the we, hottest topic right now. And I can tell you in college baseball and college softball off the field, it's been, it's been a hot topic. Yeah. Uh, Lopez, what you got? Well, I was going to say, you know, you mentioned earlier about track line and the Tom Jones there. I mean, with the, hopefully having success at track and field and men's golf, having some individuals and the tennis success, maybe the, the, the appropriate term would be it's un, it's un, not unusual anymore for UCF teams to have success. Very have well done. <laughs> Saw Thank that you. one coming, but it was well done. Thank you. 1965 hit. Uh, <laughs> uh, I will be, uh, you know, watching, uh, getting ready, actually, obviously following the softball. I got a lot of, actually, I got an interview. I'm going to be on an, an inner circle television show. It's a softball show that airs weekly across the country and online. I'm going to be on that this weekend because I am the, uh, the what is softball woes you call me, Jeffrey? Softball uh, woes. I got Fred Bracketology for Fast Pitch News, which is going to down the stretch here. So I'm going to be on that. So I'm going to be occupied on that. And also, we're going to be following all the UCF teams here, Jeff, because you and I are kind of working on this project on this. Is this the greatest year in the history of UCF athletics across the board? And we're keeping track. It, it's it's on its way to possibly being that, right? So you got to run uh, the numbers. We're running the numbers to see the winning yep. win loss records for all the different programs uh-huh. across the last, I would say, twenty years, approximately twenty years since I, the UCF softball program was started. I think that's kind of our, that's that's our that's our starting point. Two thousand one, two thousand two. Well, so. So if we can figure that out, um, we're going to be we're going to be trying to figure out uh, which year was the winningest among the team sports for UCF. So that should be interesting. That'll be fun. I'm looking forward to seeing how that every year stacks up. So we're working on that. Um, I will be I will be in the same place that Brian Murphy will be on Tuesday. UCF Bethune Cookman at the mm-hmm. at the John John Eliano Park. I will have a more upstairs view than Murph is. Murph is in the, as I call it, the Brian Murphy press box down on the. Uh, what, do you, what? Where is it exactly? It's right by the third baseline. It's a lot. It's, it's on the concourse of third baseline. It's really a plastic picnic table, but you can call it the Brian Murphy it's press box. It's in the box. shape of. It's in the shape of a box. It's a table, Jeff. Table <laughs> <laughs> outside. Anyway, I will be upstairs. This voice. We'll be calling that base. We'll be on the broadcast for the baseball. All right. There we, there we go. go. Yeah. Help it out. Team player. Right. So Mur- Murph is going to remind me like in the bottom, in the seventh inning, not to leave because I'm used to leaving <laughs> after seven innings. So Murph, <laughs> do leave. Very All well. Right. We've got uh, that and a lot more uh, coming this week. Uh, we'll be looking again, uh, uh, kind of breaking down some of the undrafted free agents. We'll be taking a look at what, uh, what you were talking about, Eric Lopez. 
uh, and Brian Murphy. Luke Saris is also uh, working on a couple of things as well. He wanted to give a Johnny Dawkins report card, so we're looking forward to that. Whoa, and plenty whoa, more here on. I know, I know. Uh, plenty more to come here on Black and Gold Banneret and BlackandGoldBanneret.com, your home for UCF sports on the SB Nation Network. Don't forget, uh, oh, I want to thank also Jeremy Brenner for joining us. Make sure you follow him at Good luck Jeremy. to your Rockets there, Brenner. Jeremy. Have fun. Right, just hang in there. Hang in there. Fear the beard. Give me six games, man. Just give me six. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and thanks again to everyone on staff. Thanks again to you guys. Don't forget to follow us uh, at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. I am at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric's at Eric Lopez. Elo Brian's at Spokes underscore. That's where Murph's going to tweet out this week in his Kentucky Derby pick. That's right. Look, guys, Omaha Beach got scratched. It's a huge deal. Omaha Whoa. Beach got scratched. Okay. Got scratched. He had an entrapped entrap epiglottis. And if you're a, a horse, that's not good. You have a problem with Mike Tirico being a part of the Derby coverage, by the way, Murph? Why? No, I think, I think Tirico's strong. Kind of miss Tom Hammond, though. Well, the, yeah, Tom, uh, yeah. Tom, uh, Tom, Tom Hammond. Tom getting a little long in the tooth. Yeah, right, Bob, yeah. Bob, no Bob Costas anymore. Well, yeah, he wasn't very – he and NBC did not part on great terms. No. Are you excited yeah, that Von Miller is going to be part of the cover? Whoa. Well, I'm, 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 no, I'm most excited wow. to see what Von Miller wears. I swear to God, that, that, that's going to be great. Please, please, dear God, let Von Miller wear a hat. I beg you, please. Let oh, me God, he has, he has to. Yeah, I feel like uh, easy money, even money, right? For all your That's, Kentucky Derby yeah. breakdowns, make sure you follow Spokes <laughs> underscore <laughs> on Twitter. For, for Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez, let's get out of here before I start looking at the pair of mutuals. Uh, for, for Brian Murphy and Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk to you later.